What's up boys and girls, welcome back to The Wrap, also known for the past few weeks as the And Austin Dugues show, driving you to work in, <laughs> in the morning. But uh, this week we've been a little bit late. When you're listening to this, it'll probably at the earliest be a Wednesday morning. Um, we usually like to release them for Monday mornings, but we had a big Sunday. We released a big video of me and Andos getting kicked out of the Socialist Conference, which was a pretty fun video to make. An unexpected twist and turn along the way. But Andos, how are you, mate? Have you recovered from the trauma? Mate, it uh, took, took me a while to recover. It's been uh, a week and a half since then, and it still keeps me up at night. But um, look, we're here now. I'm ready for the Route 22. It's a pretty big one, I think. So uh, looking I think it's a big one. It. You've got some good things coming. Well, the domestic stories. It's, it's quite a big in. It's quite mm. a big in. Well, for today, for the Wrap 22, a Catch 22, or is it a... Uh, what's the other one you were saying? Feeling 22 like Taylor Swift. Like, could be either one of those, but probably the Wrap 22 is what you'll find today. Well, yeah, probably the Wrap number 22. <laughs> doobla doobla. And uh, anyway, domestic story is the, the Tamil family deportation. International story is the pro-rogue of the uh, British Parliament. Tell me if I'm saying that correctly. Well, and there's a bit of scepticism from Andos. Well, more it's just I have no idea what the hell that means. It's a pro rogue. It's just it's just a it's just words. It's just two words you put two, together. Two syllables. It's just straight off the tongue, a little bit of off the dome. Pro rogue. action. But um, we don't. No, we we've um, we've got this. If we if you if you think we might be getting frightened at some stage, we've got this lo- the room that we're in. And uh, we're recording this on the ping pong table because that's the type of operators we are. But the um, the lights uh, keep turning off and on, and we can't really do much. It's, uh, it gives a little bit of romantic lighting, a little bit of horror lighting, and we can't really go into another room because we're recording it at, at ten o'clock at night. Mother dearest is upstairs recovering from a knee operation, and we can't interrupt she'd her be, powerful sleep. She's in a harsh sleep. Harsh sleep. So anyway, we're we're staying in here. Um, but you know we got to do it. We got to do it for the because uh, we got a responsibility to the people now to give them our best take on the news for the week. And it not be one of the fake news slaves, which we which I almost delved into last week. Andy dipped his toes in a bit of fake news last week, but um, we've come back on the other side. You've been baptized. I have a baptized by the water in of the fire. light. Yeah, but um, baptized by fire, literally. Legit. Amazon not actually burning to the extent we think. Top okay. Take. What do we got? Well, jumping to conclusions. One we always like to start with for any of those people who are new to the jumping to conclusions. It's the segment where we pay homage to the wives and girlfriends who jump to conclusions. They're often outrageous, but they they usually just they they're often just sometimes unspoken truths. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're not obvious. Uh, Andosses tend to revolve around females on social media um, that is my specialty the, <laughs> D, the serial dm slider dossie the serial dm slider that's his um that's his place stick. of research that's it's his that's where that's his office is the uh is the dm page as uh yo Gotti says goes down into dm go down in dm all right so Anders, what's your conclusion for this week look mine uh just sort of came up, came to me in the in the past few minutes. It's that uh, Kanye West is the greatest artist of our generation, and there's daylight for second. Really? Yep. You uh, just started seeing ultralight beam before, in a pretty average way, but yeah, it's you just, liked it. I thought it was uh, it needed some work, but 
Yeah, that's what I'm I'm heading with. Did Kanye I woo West. you? No, you did not <laughs> woo me, even though these lights have just gone off and it's gotten significantly more intimate. Uh, you did not woo me nor seduce me. Uh, maybe buy me flowers or take me out to dinner first. Alright, um, Kanye West is pretty good. I was going to say, um, my jumping to conclusions is that fake lips and fake melons uh, never make you look better than before you got them, unless you're like seriously disfigured or something. But on average, they almost always make the, the girl look more unattractive. What about the fake, uh, the fake behind? The fake, the fake, the fake, rump. the fake tushy, mm. the fake wagon. Yeah, the fake caboose. The fake double slice of heaven. The fake, the fake double cheek. The heaven up. sandwich. Um, no, they they're not very good either. I mean, have you seen those photos of like Kim Kardashian, the unedited ones on the beach? Yeah, they're pretty bad. They're pretty they stank. They they do be kind of stanky though. Um. Yeah, that's my conclusion. Which one do you want to talk about? I think it'd be rude of us not to talk about the fake melons, the fake tushies, and the fake lip fillers. I think it would be uh, we have a service to the people <laughs> and to about the four. It needs to be broken down. <laughs> Try to find the answers, Sway. And to the uh, the four chicks that listen to our podcast, they we need to let them know. That we need ain't to let them know what's up. Well, this this podcast is, is popping, and I bet there's going to be five next week and six the week after. If well, they come back through the annals, they're going to find this and it might influence their life decisions. It's one thing you come to realise. You're connected to the world in a lot of different ways, Doss. Butterfly effect. The butterfly effect. I don't know what that is. But uh, assume it's that you're connected to the world in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's kind of like even like the small actions you do have real big effects on, on the environment and stuff. All right, Andos, tell us about the domestic story. Okay, so this one um, has been a bit of a saga. It's about an 18-month saga um, where a, fa- a Tamil family, so that's a family, like a, an ethnic group from Sri Lanka, um, a family of four, came to, Melbourne, it came to Australia by boat in 2012 um, in for, know, like a refugee status type of, uh, type of deal, right? Like um, one of the... Uh like asylum seeker boats that often sinks, like a grungy one, like that type of boat. Yeah, yeah. So not um. So yeah, illegal immigrants, um, which is something that needs to be said at the start. Um, so they were were being deported um, this week, but received an injunction from the federal court, which made them land in Darwin. So their plane was taken off from Melbourne. They've been held. Um, since March 2018 in a detention centre in Melbourne, the family, um, which includes the dad, uh, the mum, a four-year-old kid and a two-year-old kid who have both been born in Australia and uh, have lived in Australia their whole lives, right? So they've been held in a, Mel- in a Melbourne detention centre since March 2018 after being removed from their family home in Biloela, Queensland, I think is how you say it, where the dad worked on an abattoir. Uh, they have appealed their deportation verdict all the way to the High Court and has been rejected seven times, um, meaning they have been found to not be refugees and hence under the law would be deported. The only, the, the only sort of last straw they're on now is about the refugee status of the two-year-old, the youngest child, um, who they uh, like haven't made the verdict on whether to deport or to keep or let her stay. And if you let her stay, the whole family has to stay. Um, 
Peter Dutton, as Minister of Home Affairs, has discretion to overrule the verdict, but is not budging, as he says, they are not owed protection by Australia. So this, this case itself, though, has been rejected a bunch of times um, because the information given to the courts uh, has been filled with quite a few lies from the Sri Lankan family, namely the dad, who has said that he fears going back to Sri Lanka um, because he has connections with the Tamil Tigers, is what he says, which is a, uh, a, a group in Sri Lanka who are generally like persecuted by the government. Um, and so he said that he had connections with them, um, but that has been found to be proved false because uh, he has his travel records going in and out of Sri Lanka wouldn't match up with someone who has connections with, with this group, right? Because this group if they were found to be leaving the country, um, if he really did have connections with them, they wouldn't have been allowed out of the country. Um, they would have been, he would have been detained. And so his travel history, where he says that, uh, where it shows he's been going out in and out of the country, which wasn't originally shown to the courts, shows that he's been lying about that. And so the, the argument about him not being able to go back to Sri Lanka because of persecution, because of this like, ethnic group, essentially, has sort of come under fire. Um, so yeah, the, despite um, but the the family would um face some persecution heading back to Sri Lanka because in Sri Lanka it's legal to leave by boat. So that's like one of the main considerations, right? And so that's pretty much where the case stands at the moment. Where I think we're getting a, a verdict tomorrow on the status of um the the youngest child, where if they just deem her to have refugee status, the family will stay and go back to Bilawela. Um, but if not, they will be deported and sent back to Sri Lanka. Um, there's been... The, the wider implication of this revolves around the coalition's uh, stance on stopping the boats and immigration policy, in which they have been very, very firm in stopping the boats, not allowing um, illegal immigrants to enter the country. And what this has led to is like a, wide, a widespread success of stopping the deaths at seas, which was at about 1,200 um, before the coalition government came in, right? Um, and so Peter Dutton, who has this discretion onto whether the family stays or not, um, who has no recorded deaths at sea of people trying to come to Australia because of this harsh immigration policy, has been firm in holding this. Um, so that's pretty much, th those are the implications really. It's like the implications for when people come to Australia illegally, if they have a child here, um, they might, under this precedent, be able to stay in the country even if they are illegal immigrants. Um, so there have been a few reactions to this. Scott Morrison was asked to comment and his, because of his involvement in stopping the boats when he, before he was Prime Minister, um, he's been saying that they he supports Dutton in this because of just the implication it sets and the message it sets to like but people smugglers from Indonesia and Sri Lanka, which would gain like more prominence if these if the families were allowed to stay. That's been echoed by Peter Credlin, who also worked as a I think a government member for Tony Abbott's parliament. Um, but on the other hand. Alan Jones uh, is against the deportation, as well as Dean Natale, the Greens leader, and Keneally. 
Um, so it seems to be quite polarising, even for people who would usually line up with a certain view. Uh, Alan Jones, especially, has gone really hard on Dutton for being inconsistent with a couple of other cases as well. Um, and there's also been a petition of 230,000 people that have signed that want the family to stay. So, yeah, a lot has just sort of been unpacked there. It's like been an 18-month saga where the implications of it are quite quite wide, but we're not sure. It's just really how you feel on whether the, the family itself should be allowed to stay because they've integrated quite well into this uh, Queensland town, um, but still they, have, they are illegal immigrants. And, we're not sh- and the question is really um, whether they are dangers or whether they should be allowed to stay in the country. What are your thoughts, Dukes? Well, it's a, it's a very tough one. It seems like the, um, a real sticking point is that if, um, if, if the child is granted refugee status and the whole family stays, right? So it's really whether you're granting refugee status to the whole family, which extends to parents who came here illegally. And I, my gut feeling is probably that if it was just a case involving a two-year-old and a four-year-old and nobody else, that they you know, might well be allowed to stay. And so the question is, can you um, kind of use your children as like almost a ticket to Australia, right? Um, and I guess you also might want to, th- one of the things you should probably think about is the reason why, what's, what's the reason why we have a certain number of uh, immigration each year and, and why do we not let illegal immigration kind of happen and and I don't necessarily have the best answers to these questions but one reason might be is that you need to be able to assimilate these people right and if you have too many immigrants at one time you can't assimilate them properly so you need them all to go to a, through the legal system um, which through a process of selection and and also a, a numbers limit says that these people are probably of a certain like quality um, and uh, such that they can be assimilated by the broader population of existing Australians, right? Um, and assimilating into the culture means like you're kind of able to find work, you can speak English, you understand like some level of Australian culture, Australian history, um, you buy into the political and cultural institutions like democracy, like freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion, right? That's kind of what assimilation means. And um, if you have too many illegal immigrants, first of all, you you, ne- you don't actually know who's in your country, which is an issue when you have to govern people who are in your country. Um, and it, it means it mucks up the system of the legal immigration, right, of people jumping the line. Um, so in the case where you find, um, yeah, and so, and so I guess like one of the selections for legal immigration is the idea that you can assimilate into the culture, right? Now, <clears throat> it seems in this case that although they were illegal immigrants, they have assimilated into the culture, which is what makes it difficult. Like the parents, the dad at least was working and um, they had children here. It looked like they had a pretty normal Australian life. Um, and the reason is, and the problem is, well, if you pick them up and, or sorry, if you let them stay, then it says, well, okay, if you can get here illegally on a boat and I guess assimilate kind of into the culture, we'll let you stay, which is kind of, seems like strange strange to me at least because then if the line is there why is it not well if you um can get here illegally and then kind of 
like assimilate to a less extent, then will you be able to stay as well? Like it's much easier to have a strong line there um, rather than kind of water it down. The other thing I would say is that like if your parents come here like illegally and have a baby, like I don't know if that means that, um, like I don't know the legalities and technicalities, but I know there would be a lot of people, a lot of families who could afford to buy a pregnant woman a plane ticket such that she would be in Australia while she's having a baby, uh, while the baby's delivered. And um, if it was the case that just because your baby is born here means that you get to stay, there would be a lot of um, middle-class Chinese doing that, millions and millions every year. There would be a lot of like people from India, a lot of, lot of different countries who've got newfound wealth who would love to move to Australia if they could and they would be happy to buy a plane ticket. Uh, for either you know their daughter or their sister or whoever to get them to come to Australia, right? And so it's it's a question of practicality and it's a question of rules and it's a question of how do we I think preserve the reason why people want to come here in the first place, right? Because if you actually have something valuable that other people want, it's no use to anyone if um, it gets broken down by people who don't understand the reasons why it became so valuable in the first place, right? And I'd point to things like democracy, freedom of speech, um, you know, a range of political and cultural institutions. And if you get too many people from a different country who aren't, or different countries who aren't used to those and who don't buy into them, your country then falls uh, victim to probably the same social, cultural and political problems which were the reason why they left their original country in the first place. So you actually have to get those immigrants to buy into the Australian system. Um, and if, if, if they don't, or if too many of them don't, then it creates a real issue for the, for the continuation of the system, which is the reason why they want, why they want to come in the first place. Um, so it's like, well, you're going to get exceptions like this, where it's like, are you going to have the rules? Are you kind of not going to have the rules? I think, I don't know that much about this case. I'm free, free versing here, but, um, and it's a t- it's it's tough, right? But it's it's a tough world that that we kind of, that we live in. Um, and the only other thing I would say is that it wouldn't surprise me if these people were not legitimate refugees, in the sense that they were f- or asylum seekers, in the sense that they were fleeing some sort of persecution. Um, that sorry, that they weren't fleeing some sort of persecution because it's if if you say you're fleeing persecution, that's a mu- that's a pretty it's a much easier way to get. Uh, residency in Australia than if you were just saying you're here because you like it better. Um, one of my favourite people in the world, Ayan Hersia Lee, came from, was an immigrant to Holland from Sudan and she was told by the immigration department people who were really sympathetic to the refugees, look you're going to get kicked out unless you say you were like abused by your family or you feared your family were going to kill you. So that's what she said and she got citizenship and when she became a member of parliament in Holland she then uh, went public with that and, and said that um, she would be uh, happy to have her citizenship revoked because she felt like it was a, a, a bad thing to do, to lie. Uh, or maybe that was incorrect. Maybe it was the Minister for Immigration who was actually one of her friends came to her and said she was going to revoke her citizenship. Um, but either way, that became a kind of a big hot-button issue in Holland as well. Um, and you can get really fantastic people who who, you know, in an ideal world fit the character of the exact type of people you want to come into your country but they don't fit the rules of the system um and uh 
that's that's all I would say, right? If they if we let them stay in Australia, we would go on as normal. Everyone would live, live happy lives. Maybe the people smugglers would get a bit excited, but everything would kind of go on as normal. But it's like, well, why wouldn't we do this next time or the time after? And for all the, what about for all the people whose situations are slightly less favourable than the situation of this family? And then it's like we we end up with no boundaries and no rules, and it's it's um yeah it's a str- it's a, it's a strange one and you know what i probably wouldn't i wouldn't have a particularly strong reaction either way to how this gets dealt with yeah um my reaction as someone who has like quite a basic understanding of the legal system is that we have these systems put in place for cases like this right where we define where we're able to define pretty pretty well who's seeking asylum who's a genuine refugee and this case has gone and been uh judged upon seven times that the 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 family especially the father and the mother aren't actually legitimate refugees and i'm sure that there are a bunch of people across the world who are in these countries um where it's not as it's not as good as australia right where they would make really great additions to Australia, and there's a legal, there are legal ways to go to go about that and do that. Um, as much as it does, like seeing a fam- a, a family which have pretty good intentions uh, come to Australia, and it does like fill me with like a good feeling that they are contributing to a community that they have assimilated well. I feel as if if we this, the message we send. Where we're allowing um, like the system to be bent, and then from then on, I feel as if from that sort of bending, that it'll eventually just break. Um, so, if I had if I learning one way, I'd be saying um, deportation is probably the way to go, just because we need to have kick them out. Well, we just need to have faith in our systems. If we like, if we see that the system itself is wrong, why wouldn't we like? We should just address the system, right? We have. Peter Dutton does have like the, the he does have discretion on it, but if he doesn't want to like use it, then that's that's fine. We just let the system like run its run as it should. Um, so if we want to have if we want to talk reform about the legal system itself and these tribunals and like what we call what we, how we define asylum seekers, I think we should have that discussion. Well, a lot of people do have that discussion. Yeah. Um, and the discussion is offshore versus onshore detention. Um, the Marxist conference we went to is ag- advocating for open borders. Yeah, which is um, pretty whack. Pretty whack. But yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I I personally think that the, the the system we have now is the most effective, and we need to have faith in that. As, why as, do you think it's the most effective? Well, I just don't see any other option where. See, we have these these four lives, right? these four lives of the of the family who have come by boat and have successfully made it to Australia, right? The amount of people that have jumped on on boats, especially under like governments before uh, we saw Abbott get into uh, the prime ministership, the amount of people that have jumped on boats and have died at seas, I think those lives and like the, the people who are people smugglers are, who are able to sort of like kind of abuse that and um, like the lives of people 
coming across the seas, I feel as if are the protected the most under the current system where we have legal means of immigration, but we completely disincentivize illegal immigration because of how dangerous it so is. I guess the question is, why shouldn't we just, if we're super duper concerned about the lives at sea, why don't we just send a boat to pick them up from wherever they're coming from? Well, because we like don't know who they are. Sure, and that's obviously the main issue, right? Is I think like lives at sea is definitely a big point, but at the end of the day, if they want to take that risk, that risk is, is theirs to take. And there's a chance if I was born in Indonesia and I saw it, Australia, it's like, oh, there's a chance I'd get on that boat, right? And take that chance. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a question. The immigration system, as far as I can tell, is more based on, like the the well, like the, yeah, it's it's more based on like who who we let into the country rather than, like it to some ex, to some extent, the the lives at sea definitely does come into play, and there's a good humanitarian argument there. But like, I think it's more about like if if. Yeah, I, yeah, I, but the, yeah the, the, the thing is the discussion around this case is more the humanitarian one um, like the, of course the, the immigration system is designed more for the benefit of Australian citizens but the, this case being more about the humanity of like these immigrants coming to Australia being like sort of more humanitarian and it's inhumane for us to uh, kick, to kick them out I think at, at that point like the discussion about like the incentives of people smuggling becomes so much like more prominent because it's in my opinion it's more humane to set this precedent for the other people but yeah it's a, it's a there's a lot of different discussions to be had like on this topic right where you have um like onshore versus offshore detention which you talked about before um the purpose of immigration um yeah like how we vet people like there's a lot of stuff to unpack um, but overall, I think the current system where what we have now is the most effective. Okay, cool. Well, let's get on to the international story. We, we have a fair bit of uh, time on the domestic story. Essentially, last week, Boris Johnson, um, the new Prime Minister of England, um, got the Queen's permission to prorogue the Parliament for... Uh, a few for, for I think over a month I think it's six weeks or something and basically what prorogue means is a fancy word to suspend and uh, so there's the no deal so if you guys remember in uh, 20 let me just get up my notes I should have 2016 in 23rd of June 2016 they had the Brexit referendum in uh, Britain of which 51.9% of those who voted supported leaving the EU um they then set, uh, Theresa May's government then set a March 1, 2019 deadline. I think this is a chronology of events. There might have been something earlier, uh, which stated that if uh, if <clears throat> there had been no agreement reached with the EU, Britain would leave on a no-deal Brexit, which means they just cut off from everything. There's no immigration links, no economic links with the EU. They're just out of there and they'll work it out after. Um <laughs> So that's like almost two years after the actual vote. Um, you then had uh, Parliament get together and um, they, they voted to extend that no-deal Brexit date to October 1st, sorry, to October 31st. 
um, which basically spelled the end of Theresa May's political career, even though a lot of people kind of speculated it was already over. Um, so, or at the end of her prime ministership. So then anyway, Boris Johnson's taken over and Nigel Farage's Brexit party is ready to basically take over if Boris doesn't uh, deliver before the, no, before the no deal deadline, which is now October 31st, 2019. Um, but basically all the people who are not only, who kind of might, uh, most, of them, most of the people who oppose uh, Brexit Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, my words aren't being carefully selected here. There's a big group of people in um, in the British Parliament who are opposed to Brexit. There's also a small group of more concern of Brexit's uh, overall Brexit supporters, but who don't want a No Deal Brexit, right? Particularly Scottish ones, and I think Irish ones, because if Irish if there's a no-deal Brexit and there's a hard border between uh, Ireland and, and England, it's going to make it hard for Irish workers who are working in England, right? With immigration stuff, yeah. um, I think is is one of the things, right? So then you have a smallish group of pro-Brexit people who are also against a no-deal Brexit. Um, <clears throat> so basically what those people want to do is to delay this October 31st deadline again, right? That's what those people want to do. Um, and the problem with that is that you just keep not fulfilling the promise of of Brexit, the, the, of, of Brexit right? Um, so what Boris has done is, with the Queen's permission, he's suspended Parliament until October 14th, which is largely seen as a way to prevent the anti-Brexit people um, kind of coming together, organising any type of parliamentary plan to prolong this negotiation period. Uh, it's seen as like a big ballsy move by Boris, one that might not pay off, um, but he's got the Queen's permission uh, and they're coming back October 14, and uh, they're still planning to get out by October 31st if, if no deal's made. Um, so Boris said, we're not going to wait until October 31st before getting on with our plans to take this country forward. This is a new government with a very exciting agenda. Now, Mr Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party in Britain, said, I'm appalled at the recklessness of Johnson's government, which talks about sovereignty and yet is seeking to suspend Parliament to avoid scrutiny of its plans for a reckless no-deal Brexit. This is an outrage and a threat to our democracy. <clears throat> uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, I think you pronounce it, B-E-R-C-O-W, took a break from his family holiday to issue a statement saying he had not been consulted on the government's plan. And the Speaker, who does not usually make comments on political announcements, said it was a, quote, constitutional outrage. He continued to say, however, it is dressed up. It is blindly obvious that the purpose of the prorogation now would be to stop Parliament debating Brexit and performing its duty in shaping a course for the country. Now, it's very interesting because they're saying that Johnson's plan is to, was kind of like a going against democracy um, restricting government to act in the will of the people and the irony is that it's preventing government from acting against the will of the people as far as I can tell now it's an interesting question because you almost have the will of the people versus the will of the people who the population elected to represent them and that's quite an interesting philosophical conundrum for those political theorists out there and there's some who would know more than me a lot more than me so give us a comment if you uh 
if you have any thoughts on that type of scenario. But um, as far as I can tell, if you have a country that voted for something, I know it's a legally non-binding agreement, but it was um, David Cameron, I think, resigned following Brexit and the Brexit vote. And um, it was largely, you know, it was taken up by Theresa May and the Tories, etc. It hasn't been delivered yet. Everyone's wondering when this is going to be delivered because one side of the political aisle is then saying, well, we need a second referendum. People have died. It doesn't represent the current population. All these people are trying to subvert the democracy. And it seems like there's a really good argument, a really good democratic argument for Boris. Now, there is also the democratic argument against Boris, which is achieving political aims by suspending the democratic parliament, um, which is questionable. And I wish it didn't have to come to this, but nonetheless, it's the reality that is at hand. Andy, what do you think? I think there's been a whole lot of uh, whole lot of waffling that's been going on over the past three years now since the Brexit vote. Um, I think I'd feel pretty disenfranchised by my government if I was a, mem- uh, a person in the UK. I feel like if you have a democratic vote uh, and you know the repercussions of it then you pretty much just have to live with it and it's the job of the parliament to act upon the wishes of the people because at the end of the day in a representative democracy the point of representing the people is that you fulfil their wishes overall and they made it clear what the wishes were and it's just not being acted on so even though it is quite a radical step for Boris, I sympathise um, with the the pro-roguing, as long as it's constitutional, it's been given the go-ahead by the Queen, so I imagine it is. So at the end of the day, I'm quite for Big Balls Boris. Big Balls Boris. Um, okay, beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm getting more and more tired as we do this. It's about 10.30 and I was up at about 6 this morning finishing a Chinese assignment. So let's <coughs> let's wrap this sucker up, right? I don't have any beta males of the week. Do you have any beta males? I don't think so. I think we're... I think, I think both this one might have been a beta-free week. I think, well, because both stories, you can sort of see both sides, kind of. You can see both sides. And as uh, objective journalists... In I the carnage we, house. I think we say on this one that, um, you know what, you politicians, maybe maybe just the UK Parliament, maybe. The UK Parliament could get one. Just because you've been doing too much filibustering. You've been fiddling. Fiddling and fooling in the backseat of the car while the bloody UK populace is trying to whip it to <laughs> Brexit land. The land of milk and honey. Land of the Huns, yeah. So um, I think maybe we just give it to the UK government in general, and then Big Balls Boris gets a, uh, a special mention as an anti-beta, as an Big alpha Balls male. Big Balls Boris, that could stick. Alpha male Boris. Alpha male Boris, he's got his new haircut and lost a bit of weight. He's, be a he's nice, a... nice t-shirt design, Big Balls Boris. He's yeah. A nice photo of his head with the, with the hair flying. <laughs> we could do that. Um, all right, now let's talk about the... Um, about Let's talk about the turbo thoughts with the fake, with the implants. Them Kardashian Jenner ripoffs. So fake. tell us, Anders, what do you think? What do you think the lip filler or the fake boobies or the uh, fake ass says? What do you think it says? Now, if girls, if look, if I know, just what we get in the comments, it, yeah, they do it for themselves and etc. It's like, well, well, firstly, like you can do whatever you want, and I, 
you know, if it, you're doing it for you, girl, then, then go and do you. But it's just funny that, um, that the things you're doing up are traditionally considered the most uh, heterosexually attractive parts of the female. Uh, so to get those ones done up in particular seems like it might be for wanting more attention. Yeah, it does but, seem like that. Um, you know, happy to leave that one on the side. Um, what do you think? It. What do you? What do you think? Do you think it? Why do you think it makes the girl less attractive or more attractive? What do you think? Well, I think it. Um, like on a surface level, it might make a girl more attractive. Like just because if you're if you're a heterosexual male like myself, you might think that uh, you know size is the prize almost. Um, I'm trying to be quite careful here, but I think it does showcase a little bit of insecurity um, from the from the girl, which is not. I'm a I mess with the BDE, so being secure in the dad bod is something that I'm happy about. Um, I feel as if girls should be uh, pretty happy um, and secure about how they look, and if you're unhappy with it, I feel as if there are means natural means to go about uh, making yourself look better such as the gym if you really like want to like if you want to get a, a better a better rump a better behind you can go do some squats um, which is sort of I think a little bit more of an admirable way to do it um, so I think it's really even if on the outside itself it does make you look a, like better perhaps which is in some cases um, I think it does showcase some insecurities. What about you, DC? Oh, look, that's that's not necessarily the line I would have taken. I think um, I think that uh, well, on the question of whether you should be happy with the body you've got, I mean, <clears throat> if you're overweight, you shouldn't really be happy with the with the body you've got. Um, you should see it as a, a reason to change and improve. Um, if you, uh, and I think the self-esteem often doesn't do much for people, right? Because some of it's just for how other people, well, like even if the, one of the best things about having a good body, hypothetically, is that other people kind of treat you a bit better. And it's a bit sad, but it's also, but it's also true. It's the way humans, humans work, and I guess the way humans have always worked because the most basic instinct is one of survival uh, and you want to reproduce the best, kind of the most valuable humans to, to keep those valuable traits in the gene pool, I guess. Um, so you want to be, uh, make yourself as valuable as, as possible. Um, I would just say that I don't like the way any of those alterations look. You seem to kind of like the way the alterations look. I don't mind them. Um, I think... I think obviously there's a there's probably a point where it goes to the point where it's a bit outrageous, um, or there's a, or just like just unnecessary. Like I find a lot of the, like a lot of the girls that get these implants or lip fillers, or whatever, like they're pretty attractive beforehand. Like I remember one of the one of the best things uh, my old man ever said was that guys like aren't looking for like the perfect. Like, aren't really looking for models to be their wives, right? Like, if you're really attractive, that's great. But guys, like, will not not settle, which probably sounds like a word that is a little bit harsh, but they don't need, like, all of that. Like, there was a girl who I knew who was in the year above me um, at school who 
uh, as soon as she got out of year 12, got herself a fake fake rack. Um, she was, I thought she was super stunning beforehand and I feel as if now it was just sort of like unnecessary but I mean yeah but, what I, but like whether it's unnecessary or not is kind of no it's neither here nor there right just saying like you don't need to do it to be like I saying you don't need to do it to be attractive is like there's no problem with them doing it that there's no problem with it either way well I'm uh, like quite impartial to it I think that well, I thought you'd been arguing against it for the past several minutes. Well, I've, I've been saying that, like, on a physical level, like, it might make you look better. But, like, personally, I think that it does show a little bit of insecurity. Yes, well, I think that it usually, it almost never makes you look better. I think, um, I think the nat- I, I always like natural, the natural physique. Even in the, even in kind of the, you know... The older ladies, I reckon. The uh, I reckon you see the older lady with the fake, you know, whatever, and it's like if you just kept kept it real, I think it would uh, increase. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to get in trouble for this segment, but um, no, I think that uh, I just I just find the the lips too much. I find the the rack too much. I find the the behind too much. Um, and uh, it actually t- turns me. It turns me off. It turns me off. That and that's essentially my jumping to conclusion, um, <coughs> which hasn't really been uh, discussed yet. I assume Andy would have some. Uh, well, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say I get turned off by them. I'd say um, I'd, I'm trying to like sort of tread a line here. Uh, where I'm not offending people, um, I'd say uh, just the message it sends is one that probably isn't as attractive as one you get from uh, chicks who keep it natural. Okay. Which is a bit of a roundabout, uh, fluffy way of saying uh, saying it, but that's how I'm going to keep it. All right. Well, let's finish this off. If you made it to the end, I'm, uh, I appreciate I appreciate you. This one's been probably my most struggled podcast so far, just because of how tired I am. But because uh, I didn't get it on Sunday night, I pack all my uni and and stuff into the first couple of days of the week. And it's um, when you haven't got a podcast out, you got to go do it. But anyway, what do you got to say to the people, Josie? Look, uh, always big developments happening behind the scenes at CHP. Uh, big things coming along. So make sure if you were day one, a real one, you s- stay with us. we got day ones, we got new ones, and we love them all the same. So uh, just stick with it. We do love them all the same. Um, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some of those developments with you. Go check out our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, all that. Yeah, go, go share our socialism video. Um, get in the algorithm get in the algorithm alrighty cool peace out we'll see you next week thanks for uh, sticking with us